Welcome to the Divorce Recovery Men Over 40 podcast that empowers men with the tools that foster hope, resilience, and growth during and after divorce. Check it out. Welcome everybody out there to Divorce Recovery Men Over 40 uh, we have James Christensen from Roseville, California, Couples Counseling. Uh, he is a associate. No, I'm, I'm licensed now. I should probably license that. that. Licensed marriage therapist in California. Been married 22 years, four kids. Uh, relationship repair, which we're kind of past that point, but I know he has some caveats for us. Um, and I want to know what the traditional marriage Gottman EFT is, too. I am so enthralled to figure out what all that stuff is. So go ahead, introduce yourself, James, and go from there. Uh, yeah, my name is James. I am a marriage therapist, uh, Air Force retired, used to be a pilot in the Air Force, um, and, and just have a passion for helping couples. So it's, uh, it's what I do. It's what I love. I left the military to become a counselor. And so my mm-hmm. favorite part of counseling is helping couples. I also do a little bit of trauma work. I do counseling with men. Um, but, but if I could choose, I would work with only couples. What are some of the things just off the bat? Uh, do you have a guy going through a divorce? What's some of the first things you can do for him to help himself to gain a foothold of all the craziness and the, and the, and the out of control emotions and all that good stuff? So the first thing I would tell you is, Find where you're feeling it in your body. So every emotion has a physical component, especially these negative emotions that hit us when we're going through divorce. If you can find where it's occurring in your body, now you have a a precise physical location, something you can work with. And it's just so much more workable than I feel anxious, I feel sad, I feel discouraged. Where is it hitting in your body? Once you have that, you can say, oh, I have a tightness in my chest. I have a pain in my chest. I have a pit in my stomach. And I think that's a more accurate description of what is actually happening to you than the emotion words we use. So so most counselors will use emotion words and just really dig into that. And I go straight to the body because I find the body to be a more useful place to work. So if you have that pain in the body, how do you subside it? How do you, how do you attack it? What's the method then? It's wonderful that you said that because our instinct to attack the pain in the body is the problem. Let's, let's just talk, let's back up a little bit, talk about why is my body experiencing so much distress in the first place? Why does that even happen? And what's happening is the human being is designed to survive childhood primarily. So from a design perspective, humans are designed to survive childhood. One of the ways that we survive childhood is by maintaining an emotional connection with our parents. We maintain that connection with our parents because if we don't, our bodies protest and we feel that tightness in the chest, the pain in the chest, the pit in the stomach. So if I'm like a three-year-old and and my parent isn't close to me, I'm going to feel discomfort. I'll feel physical discomfort. I'll go find my parent. I'll reestablish that connection. Likewise, if if I'm a three or four-year-old and my parent is being too intense with me, maybe they're yelling at me or they won't leave me alone. Um or they're criticizing me in some way, I will have the opposite response. I'll have that same discomfort in my body, but it will urge me to disconnect from the parent in some way. And so all of the distress that we feel in, in romantic adult relationships stem from the childhood instinct to maintain attachment to the person who maintains your survival, which is your parent or caregiver. Children can't survive okay. can't survive by themselves. And so we have these incredibly strong impulses to maintain that attachment. 
What is the science of relationship repair? You know, I saw that in your bio. What exactly is that? It's it's taking a step-by-step approach to what is the first step, um, the first step of of taking a relationship from from bad to better, um, and then a next step. So we start at the very bottom, and we would start right where we stopped this started this conversation, which is where are you feeling this in your body, and how can you take care of your body given the context of what's going on in your relationship. What happens in relationships is we end up acting on these impulses. So I have this discomfort in my body. I'm going to take some kind of action to try to make it better. But the action we take is never effective because it's based on childhood instincts. It's not based on adult resources. Mm-hmm. So as adults, we can we can do kind things, we can do loving things, and we can do courageous things. Children can't really do any of those things. Children aren't capable of that kind of behavior. But if I act based off the impulse in my body then I'm going to do childish things, not adult things. And I'm going to make the relationship worse, not better. So can the science of relationship repair be applied to a single person, not just a relationship? Absolutely. And even if I were working with a couple, I I would only be working at one person at the same time. And so everything I'm saying here applies as equally uh, to, to a single person or a divorced person as it does to a married person. We're still trying to develop the capacity to have an enjoyable adult relationship, whether we're currently in one or not. So one of the things I uh, tout on my uh, podcast, we talk about communication. Communication is big and it's uh, kind of broken in a divorce. Since that connection is broken, how can men improve communication coming from a negative space? When they're talking with a soon-to-be ex-spouse or an ex-spouse, how can that communication be best brought together? So I kind of focus on two tips here. The first is write it down and wait till tomorrow. So I've been married for 20 years and there's been many, many days in that marriage when I've wanted to bring some kind of anxiety to my wife. And what I've learned is it's just not wise to bring anxiety to the relationship. It's better for me to deal with anxiety on my own and then communicate after I've calmed myself down. So what I usually do is I write it down. I let it sit till tomorrow. I look at it the next day. And then I decide, is this something worth bringing up or not? And about half the time, it's a yes. Half the time, it's a no. So if it's a yes, when I wrote it down, it's usually in the form of a complaint. You never do this. You always do this. It's a complaint about the past. So complaints are about the past and complaints are full of negative energy, whereas a request is about the future and a request has positive, friendly energy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to translate that complaint into a request. So instead of saying, you never do this, you always do this, I might say, I would like you to do that, or I would prefer you do this, or I would prefer you treat me this way or talk to me that way. Realizing that just because I make the request doesn't mean my partner has to comply with the request. But, but my best, my best shot is still to make a friendly request about the future because the person I'm talking to can only change the future. They can't change the past. So complaining about the past mm-hmm. is, is at best useless and at worst harmful. So, but don't you look at the past, go forward though sometimes? Probably um, doesn't help, but. I wouldn't spend more than 30 seconds on it, to be honest. But here's what gotcha. happens when we start talking about the past is my memory of the past is not my wife's memory of the past. And so what we're going to okay. start doing is we're going to start having this competition. My memory is better than your memory. Well, that just never goes anywhere. The fact is she does remember things differently than I do. And her memories support her current emotional state. So if she's upset, her memories are going to be memories that, that make me look like an idiot and, and, and vice versa. I'm going to see her in a bad light. She'll see me in a bad light. So 
I mean, if, if you are lovey-dovey, then yeah, talk about the past because you're going to have an amazing conversation. If you're not lovey-dovey, keep it to problem solving. Problems are solved in the future. Hmm. So what happens when you have a couple that it doesn't work out and they get divorced? Do they transition into a different kind of counseling or do you stop counseling or what has happened in the past with you? No, I don't, I don't make any difference with that. Um, okay. The way I talk counseling to couples counseling. about this. Yeah. I, cause I, I work with a lot of couples who are on the edge of divorce. Do we stay? Do we go? And it's usually one person mm-hmm. who's more on the edge. And so what I always say is there's a big question and there's a little question. Now the little question is, do you stay in your marriage? That's the small question. The big question is, how do you handle yourself in the relationship you have? Now, if this is a couple with children, yes, you can get divorced. That doesn't mean your relationship is going to be over because you have children with this person, especially if they're younger children. So you're going to still going to have some kind of relationship with this person. The way you show up matters. And even if you don't have children, you know, there's going to be a process of divorce. You're going to be working through um, settling things. The way you show up in every interaction with this person matters so much. And it matters so much more than the question of whether you get divorced or not. And, and couples come all the time. Well, it's an individual who, who is just on the fence. I don't know whether I should stay or go. And sometimes that's not a clear answer. Sometimes you just don't know. It, it's a difficult question. It's complicated. You might never know for sure whether it was Mm -hmm. correct to stay or go. And you just have to make your best guess. The default is usually to stay because it's easier. Sometimes, sometimes it is wiser to go, but you might really never, never know for sure. And so it's just one of these incredibly difficult decisions in life. What are some of the best or easier ways to uh, come to agreement? And I think you touched on this. Come to agreement in a hostile environment because most divorces are, are hostile. Mine was. And I, oh, and I found one of the best ways I communicate was uh, text and email. You know, you're onto really something. There. So, yeah. Yeah. There, there's a spectrum of intimacy and communication. The most intimate is face to face. Um, after mm-hmm. that would be, say, a video message. Um, and, or maybe so face to face in person and then maybe face to face over Zoom and then maybe recorded video message would be slightly less intimate. And as we descend in intimacy, we also descend in anxiety. Any recorded message can be replayed. So I can record it and then, and then my wife can watch it. And then if she gets upset, she can wait and watch it again when she's calm. Um, and then a written message would be lower anxiety than a recorded message. And so I often do recommend to couples if, if face to face communication is too much for you to handle, um, Try try moving down this ladder of of intimacy and communication, and written would be the lowest. How do you handle? And this is one I kind of get confused with with the narcissist. When you have one or maybe two people in the relationship that are narcissists, how do you handle that? That seems to be like totally hard for me. It is it is very difficult. The way I look at this is we all have a certain amount of narcissistic tendency, and it's important to pay attention to what narcissism really is. Narcissism is just a way of dealing with a sense of not being good enough. So if I have narcissistic tendencies, it's because deep inside me, I feel that I'm not good enough. And the way I've learned to handle that is by constantly comparing myself to others and and instructing, trying to extract this belief that I'm better than you. I'm better than you because I'm better than you. It means I'm okay. Does that kind of make sense? And so that's kind of a background Mm -hmm. to why we become narcissistic. And the problem is, if you see narcissism in your partner, there's almost certainly 
some narcissism in you as well. It's, it's pretty rare to have one narcissistic partner and the other partner not be narcissistic. There's usually a, a certain balance between the two, not just in narcissism, but in any kind of mm-hmm. emotional, any kind of emotional immaturity, you're going to see a pretty close balance between the two people. The problem is it's so much easier for me to see my partner's immaturity than it is for me to see my own immaturity. Coming on to like, how do you deal with it? I would say pay more attention to the person's behavior and less attention to the person's words. So we often kind of pay a lot of attention to what a person says when we're perfectly Mm -hmm. capable of observing them ourselves and determining for ourselves what kind of a person is this? How are they behaving? Is this someone I can trust? Instead of if they say, you can trust me, you can trust me. Okay, that's fine. Make your own decision on that. Don't don't necessarily listen to what that person says. How do you handle the age gap? Let's, so my divorce podcast is for men over 40. And I know there's men out there under 40 getting divorced. Is there a different style or a different way that you see where... Or even different couples, like a a young couple, you would um, counsel different than an older couple. What's what's the differences? In in general, older couples have more capacity for developing relationship skills. So most of us enter enter into relationships in our 20s. And I mean, to be honest, I got married in my 20s and no one's really ready for marriage in their 20s. It's just, it just doesn't. And and it's not, you can't have a good marriage in your 20s. It's just a lot harder. And I don't, honestly, I don't regret my choice to get married. But, but it is more difficult. The human brain doesn't even stop maturing until the age of 25 or 26. And so when we get married young, it really is hard because we're, our, our child brain is still very active. Now, as we get older, we have the opportunity to grow into more maturity, more compassion, more courage. That doesn't always happen. In a, in a really solid marriage, the two people are growing together. Like one is growing mm-hmm. and as one grows, it, it kind of pressures the other one to grow along. In, a less happy marriage, you're going to have more stagnation where people are just staying at the same level of maturity where they got married, which is generally pretty close to like the level of maturity their parents were at when they left the home. One of the great challenges in life is becoming more mature, reaching a higher state of maturity than your parents reached because that's kind of what we get for free. As far as, as people over 40, I think, I think in general, we have a better shot at a happy relationship past the age of 40 than before the age of 40. Relationships are incredibly challenging. I think marriage specifically is the single biggest challenge in human life. If you really want to have a satisfying, um, enjoyable, multi-decade marriage, it's the equivalent of of climbing Mount Everest. It's it's an incredible challenge, and most of us <laughs> sign up for it. We don't really realize how yep. difficult it is because our culture just tells us happily ever after. Well. When you get married, that's step number one, and you have the whole mountain ahead of you. And some couples do make it. Uh, I would say it's not most. Some couples do make it. And and there are resources out there. There's books, there's podcasts, um, there's counselors who can help you. If you're willing to put in the work, and it really is doing the work on yourself, it is possible to create a marriage worth having, uh, an incredible marriage. But it doesn't happen by default. A lot of us, you know, yep. we're kind of fed this cultural idea that you just get married and you kind of treat each other halfway decent for 20 years and everything's fine. Well, as you know, it doesn't really work out that way. Yeah. As I've seen, as I've grown from a kid to an adult, I've seen where the divorce rate has climbed, but I feel that people just give up. You know, it's so easy to get divorced, I guess, and people don't take the time to work on it, just like you said. 
People don't, it, it don't put true. the time in. Well, we have this fantasy. I would call it an escape fantasy. Let's say I'm in a marriage um, and I'm feeling a lot of distress in that marriage. Like I'm suffering. Uh, I have a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not being treated well. I'm not being loved the way I want to be loved. And so my mind is going to come up with some solution to this. And solution is often going to be, well, if I leave my marriage, everything's going to get better. I'm not anti-divorce. I, I do think that divorce is the best option in some in some cases. But I don't think that divorce is going to get you away from your distress in most situations. The reason is that the kind of marriage you're capable of having in general is the kind of marriage you have. And so the successful second marriages that I do see are second marriages where the person left or was left. So the first marriage ended and then that person put in so much work over the next two or three years and then got remarried and they and they married another person who had also done a lot of work. And they leveled up between between that first and second marriage. They really leveled up their relationship skills, their emotional maturity. Um, they figured out their childhoods. They figured out their relationship with their parents. And they figured out their own ability to be a kind and courageous person. And that made them capable of having a much better mar- marriage. But the fantasy we have is that by by leaving my current partner, I'm going to be able to trade up to a much better partner. And I would say that's that's a fantasy. Because... We tend to, to marry at our own level of development. So, so I will yep. always marry someone who's very similar to me in emotional maturity. And then we either grow or stagnate together. So even as I get divorced, I'm divorcing someone who is very similar to me in maturity level. Um, which means that, you know, as I go out on the dating market, I'm going to be able to attract people who are at a similar level of maturity. And so what I have seen is people who get divorced get remarried and create a marriage that looks a lot like the marriage they just left. And that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, I am a second generation divorced person. Yeah. My parents are divorced and then I'm divorced. And then when I first got divorced, I was so worried about my children. Are they destined to get divorced too? How do you, someone or how do you talk someone through that? So they don't focus on that. That was my focus for months and I couldn't let it go. And I finally let it go. But it, it was so prevalent in my mind that it stopped me from healing. What do you say to oh, that yeah. fact? I mean, divorce does impact children. It, sometimes I think it is a common case where children living in the presence of two parents who really strongly dislike each other, um, that's mm-hmm. probably worse for the kids than divorce. So divorce is not the ideal, but it's also not the worst possible outcome. As far as what can you do for your children? Every bit of emotional development that you do as a person, you give to your children for free. It's the greatest gift. People focus on leaving, you know, a million dollars to their kids. That's great. If you can leave emotional maturity to your children by growing yourself up, that's worth mm-hmm. more than any, any sum of money. And so someone who, who leaves, who leaves a big house and say a, a large fund of money to their children has done something for their children's happiness, but someone who, who shows an example of what it means to live a kind and courageous and loving life, their children get to learn that for free and they don't have to go through that journey of development themselves because they inherit it from their parents. Now, after the children have left home, it's harder for them to absorb that maturity. It still happens, but but your Mm -hmm. critical years are really well. The parents and the children are in the home together and any level of emotional maturity that you achieve as a parent during those years just gets transferred to them tax-free. It's a, it's a real bonus. Uh, you're not a proponent of uh, staying for the children. 
Like if things are crazy, um, you know, you don't. I don't think you stay for it's the just, children. It's what just such an that? individual choice. I I <clears> often. W- well, when I do have a couple who's coming in and they're making this decision, they're like, well, mm-hmm. you know, the marriage isn't doing well. One of us is considering leaving. What I tell them is I say, why don't you two work on your own capacity to love each other for six months and then make the decision? And I'm not saying, I don't know, I want to make sure I'm explaining it well. The thing is that I often tell a couple, the marriage you had is over. And so the marriage has already ended because they don't like each other. They don't want to be around each other. Mm-hmm. It's not much of a marriage. Okay, so so let's just call that one done. Um, we're going to start a second marriage. It starts today. Okay, um, let's see how your second marriage goes. And give it a few months and, and do your work. Um, read a book. Listen to a podcast. I'm going to teach you some breathing exercises. I'm going to teach you some intimacy exercises. I'm going to have you practice being together in the same room and being calm around each other. Because you might not have noticed, but over the years, you've just gotten used to as soon as you're within five feet of your partner, you don't feel okay. And and nothing good can happen in that. Like if your body is perceiving your partner as a threat, it's going to ruin everything. And so I'm going to start with let's calm down our bodies. Um, Let's learn to communicate in ways that are productive. And let's let's Mm -hmm. practice kindness to each other. There really is no reason you can't be perfectly kind to a person and then decide that divorce is still the right path. So pretty much like a reset. Exactly. And what I tell them is like, let's work on this for a few months. And then after a few months, you're going to make your decision. And the ideal case is either you, you stay with love or you leave with love. And I would much rather see that than either staying with anger or leaving with anger. And, and, a divorce where one person leaves with kindness and love and courage is so mm-hmm. much better than an acrimonious divorce. It's a whole different, a whole different thing. Wow. I've never heard it put that way. That, that makes so much sense, but both people have to be amenable to that. Both people have to smile that bill, correct? Both people do have choices. We okay. often underestimate the power of one person being willing to step into a leadership role. It could be either partner. Um, mm-hmm we have this fantasy. Well, let me see if I can explain this. If I'm living in a home with a really mature person, it's not comfortable for me to act like a child. Like if my wife comes home and she is, um, she's calm and she's kind and she's mature and she's courageous and she's being honest with me. And I start acting like a child. I feel really uncomfortable about that. Now, if she comes home and she's acting like a child, well, I feel right at home and I'm just going to act like a child too. Does that kind of yep. make sense? Yeah, so, it does. We have so much power to influence the behavior of the other person by behaving better ourselves. It's hard to do, but it is possible. It's not a guarantee. Um, your partner always has a choice and they, they always get to decide how are they going to show up in the relationship. So, so you have a certain degree of influence it's not anywhere near a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, but, but one you, of the, you do need to ahead, focus on what you, uh, you know, I'm sorry. You do no. need to focus on what you can do. One of my Facebook uh, groups I belong to, uh, it's a divorce men's Facebook group. And uh, the, the most prolific post I see all the time is the people are almost divorced or they're divorced and things are going on in the spouse's house and they can't control it. They can't let it go. How do you get that person out of your DNA? 
you've been married 20, 30 years, then all of a sudden they're gone and everything they do, you like, you like key on it and they still have those parking spaces in your brain and you can't get them out. What are some of the ways to get them out? It comes back to that childhood survival instinct we started with. Um, you know, I started off in life as this very small person who was very vulnerable and depended on adults for survival. And I was programmed to maintain that connection. And I needed my parents. I mean, I really did need my parents to behave a certain way if I was going to survive childhood. And so my programming was very intense in helping me maintain that connection. Now I grew up and got married and that, that attachment um, paradigm transferred into my marriage. And my body thinks that mm-hmm. I need my wife to behave a certain way in order for me to survive. My body really believes that and it acts that way. And when my wife doesn't behave in the way that I think I need her to behave, my body yells, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I feel that intense pain in my chest and panic and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, none of that is true. My body's lying to me. And so, so what I've had to do is I've had to learn to just see that as, okay, my body's reacting. I'm going to take care of my body. And what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to take any external action based on these sensations. I'm going to feel what I need to feel and I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to feel it. And I can do some breathing exercises. I can calm myself. I can go for a walk or a run, but I'm not going to do anything in the relationship. I'm not going to take any relationship action based on the discomfort that I feel. So the question you were talking about is similar. Let Sam divorced and now, you know, we're taking turns with the kids and and you know, my my ex is doing certain things that I have zero control over, even less control over than I had when we were still married. And my body is interpreting this as a survival level threat. My body's saying, if this person behaves in this way, I'm gonna die. That's what your body's telling you. That's why it feels so bad. It's being interpreted as a survival level threat. Now, the only way out of that, let's imagine you have two parts of your brain. You have an adult brain and a child brain. The child brain forms first, and the child brain is the one that is so worried about survival all the time because children are just so vulnerable. And children Mm -hmm. are designed for survival. And children are designed specifically to maintain emotional bonds that enhance their chances of survival. Now, as adults... We don't really need emotional bonds for survival, not nearly to the extent that children do, like that children do. We want to have emotional bonds, but it's not a need, it's just a want. What I need to do is I need to help my adult brain that knows this talk to my child brain. So how I would do that is I would find the place in my body where it hurts the most, and I'd put my hand over that. For me, it's just my chest. My chest is the place where it hurts. I put my hand over my heart, and I would just say, I'm here for you. And what I'm doing is I'm reaching for the adult part of my brain, the adult part that knows how to comfort a child that's in distress. And I'm activating that part and I'm allowing the child part of my brain that, that's afraid to feel that that parental energy, that love, that comfort, that strength that it needs to feel. And now the child part says, no, you need to go get that from your partner. And it just doesn't work. I, I've never seen it work. It doesn't work for me. I've never seen it work for anyone else. You know, when I was a kid, I could go to my mom and dad, and if they were in a good mood, they would offer me that comfort, and it was yep. amazing. But that that depended on the, the the difference in size and power and maturity between me and my parents. They were much bigger than me. They were older than me. They had a lot to offer me. If I go to my wife, she's just like me. She's not more mature than me. She's not bigger than me. She's not stronger than me. If I go to her and say, comfort me like a child, even if she was going to try, 
it, it's just not very effective because there's that difference, the disparity in, in power and strength just isn't there. So then how do you combat it then? Or you just accept it and you try to move on from there? What's yeah. the next step? No, you're on to it. it. Feel more, do less. So, so the solution is to feel the distress that your body needs to feel. So I'm going to step into the fire. I'm going to step into the pain. I'm going to allow my body to feel what it needs to feel. Um, there is a part of me, there's a programming in me, um, something in my body feels survival level distress. I'm going mm-hmm. to allow it to feel that. And I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to say, I'm here for you. I'm sorry, you're hurting. And it's that parental energy that is the solution. That pain might go away. It might stay for a couple of hours or even a couple of days. And it might come back. As adults, we can handle it. Now, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. not so much. I mean, children have incredibly limited ability to handle emotional intensity. All of you have kids know what I'm talking about. As adults, we can handle feeling these intense feelings. And the solution is just to feel them. Damn it, James. <laughs> <laughs> Am I giving you the answers you didn't want to hear? No, man, you're dropping some big knowledge on me, man. Oh, so late at night. You're just, just, just jacking with my brain. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Wow, that makes so much sense. I have never thought of that way, ever thought about that way. Never thought about the kid inside you and the adult and the, and the du- duality, basically, what you're saying. Exactly. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, yeah, you're ready to podcast, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Break out the mic and get on it, but close this out. But man, that was God. I have to listen to this podcast again when I edit it. Okay. Edit it. It's going to be interesting. But we yeah. appreciate James for uh, reaching out to us and and uh, this late night on a on a Thursday. But uh, we're going to drop. Uh, tell us a little bit about your yourself and how we can get re- reach out to you and all everything that you do. So I offer in-person counseling in Roseville, California, um, online counseling throughout the state of California, and I will coach you outside the state um, if you're not in California, so anywhere in the world. My website is uh, jameslmft.com. Uh, LMFT stands for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. So uh, you can look me up there, and uh, it's what I do. It's what I'm passionate about. I'm sure you could hear the passion in my voice. I really do love my job. Oh my so, gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't I really know if it's the kid or the grown up, the passion. <laughs> oh man. I'm not sure about that. That's All right, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but we will have James' uh, contact information at the bottom of the show notes and go from there. But thanks, James, for hanging with us, and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Care.